questions in our life. Do you feel that, that the more you've been listening to the foundations and the things that the Bible speaks about, that more your life has been challenged? Is there anybody like that? Have you been challenged? Is that okay? Wonderful. That's great. So my life has also been challenged. And so our whole basis was based out of Hebrews chapter 6, reading from verse 1. It says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and from faith in God and instructions about cleansing rites, that's baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So before I carry on, I want to repent. Last Sunday, um, you're going to notice that whenever I get excited, I become like a steam train that decides that it's going to go a bit faster than it should be going. And so people said that I went like very fast last week. So I want to repent and say I'm sorry. And if I am going too fast for you, please just put up your hand and just say, um, please can you slow down? Okay. Is that okay? Uh, I'm, I'm still a progress um, and, and a work in progress. So, um, so we've dealt with repentance and dead works. We've dealt with faith in God. We've looked at the different baptisms or, uh, doctrines of baptisms, which is baptism into the body of Christ, salvation, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we've been dealing with baptism of suffering because some things can go horribly wrong sometimes. And so here's the interesting thing. It talks about not laying again the foundation. So we've been learning about the elementary. Now, elementary is the beginning, the, 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 the basic stuff that you and I should know. And it's, now it says this, that we need to um, not lay it again. So in other words, we need to build on that. But the Bible does not say that we must move from it or move away from it. We must build on it. And there's a difference because some people, they move away, but they change it. And, and what we find is that biblical doctrine has been altered because people are adding their own flavor into it. We don't add our own flavor. The word stands on its own. And that's what we believe. So when it says that the baptisms are important, then they are important. And we don't, we, don't, we don't just run over them. No, we teach them as they are. Why? Because it's going to impact your and my life. And today we're dealing with the doctrine of the laying on of hands. And it's not that... The fivefold ministry, some people call it. <laughs> slap you, the, 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 the slappuccino. Not that one. Laying on of hands. And so the laying on of hands is an act in which one person places their hands upon another person with some definite spiritual purpose. We are living in a world, now, now you, you've, you've got to put boundaries in yourself because we're living in a world where many things are frowned upon nowadays. So I want to say that never ever find yourself putting your hands on people when you're alone, rather have somebody with you. Protection for you. But even though the world changes everything, we don't stop doing what the Word of God says because there's truth and there's power in it. Okay, so we just have to be a little bit wiser in this whole thing. So it's not a ritual, but it's an act where something spiritual actually takes place. You're going to find that God teaches things sometimes that, that it doesn't make sense in your head, but it works. Something happens. And that's why we kept just keep on doing it, and we'll see the thing that, that actually happens. So where, now let me ask you a question. Where does Jesus live? He lives in your heart by the Holy Spirit. How does he come out of there? By how I live and what I do. 
Are we okay with that? The world's only going to see Jesus by how you and I live and do what we do. So therefore, how you and I live is very, very important. Listen to what people said about Jesus in Matthew 7, 28. It says, and when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In other words, he didn't bore people. When they came to him, their lives were changed. And I want to say, Jesus makes the statement in, in John 12. He says, the things that I have done, you will do also. So we are not Jesus, but he has anointed us to do stuff to build his kingdom. Is that okay? So you need to understand, you and I, just sitting around doing nothing doesn't demonstrate the kingdom at all. The kingdom comes because people go, and people take the kingdom with them. And wherever they go, they are a fragrance of Jesus Christ. The power of God follows them. That's why the Bible says that the signs and wonders followed the ministry of the word. So we've got to speak the word. The word does the miracles. But he does use vessels. He does use people to do, sorry, to do that. And people should, people should be saying of us, yo, why have you got such authority? Not because I'm clever. It's just that because I'm allowing Jesus to work through me. That's it. Why have you got such wisdom? I don't know. I don't have any uh, matric certificate or whatever, but Jesus is working through me. And I'm very grateful for that. So what does the laying on of hands do for us? Number one, there's this transmitting spiritual blessing or authority. See, it's a principle that flows from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. It's something that doesn't change. It's, that's how God does things. So in Genesis 27, Isaac wants to bless Esau, who was the oldest son. And so Isaac is old now. His eyesight's not that good. And I want to say to the young people, don't take advantage of mom and dad's uh, fa uh, age. So Jacob, you know, the problem is that Jacob uses that and he deceives his father. And so Isaac's thinking that Jacob is Esau and so blesses him and passes on the family authority to Jacob and not to Esau. Let's pick up the story in Genesis 27. So Isaac says to, to Esau, Esau, go. And um, because Esau was a man of the, of the land, he loved to, to hunt. So he says, go and, and um, skid for me a book. And come back and make me some lacquer bultong. No, it's not. He didn't say that. Um, go and make me a nice meal. So he goes. But Rebecca overhears and says to Jacob, listen, this is what your dad said. Let's, let's go and do something. So they get a, a, a lamb, I think it is, and they, they do this whole thing. And so it comes now where now, now, um, Jacob is going to bring the meal to his father. And so you go and read before this, you'll get all the detail, but just for the sake of time. So he says to him, he says, my son, and thinking it's Esau, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him. Remember, Esau should be the one. Here, Jacob brings it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. And then his father, Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he was picking up something wasn't lacquer. And so his father uh, then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So when he went and kissed him, then Isaac caught the smell of his clothes. He blessed him and said, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew. Listen to what he declares 
in the blessing that goes to Jacob, which was intended for Esau. It says, May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mothers bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. So then you're going to read on when Esau comes back now. And then he says, but who was here? And he got to realize that something had happened. And then Esau asked his dad, dad, is there no blessing for me? And he said, I have given the oldest son's blessing to Jacob who came. Deceptively as you. So now, we're going forward. I'm showing you the power of the laying on of hands. And we're going to activate this tonight. We're going to bring the kids back in from kids' church. And parents, I'm going to ask you, will you start a culture of blessing your children? Because there's nobody else that can bless them like you can bless them. So in, in, in Genesis chapter 48, Jacob is now old. And he's wrestled with God. And God changed his name to Israel. Jacob means deceiver. Israel means the one who struggled with God. And so in Genesis 32, it's verse 28 says, Then the man uh, said, Your name will be no longer Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So God changes his name. And then we go down further now. All of a sudden, Joseph has two sons, and he's bringing them to Jacob, and he wants Jay, uh, to, uh, Isaac to bless them. And his eldest one was Manasseh, and the other one was Ephraim. And we know that the eldest son is the one that takes over the family lineage and the, and the, and the authority to look after the, the family and all that kind of stuff. So we're in picking it up in Genesis 48, verse 13. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim, on his right hand. So the right hand was the hand of, of blessing and authority. It says on his right hand towards uh, um, Israel's left hand, uh, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left hand towards Israel's right hand. So remember that Manasseh is the oldest, Ephraim is the youngest. Um, to his right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the youngest, and crossed his arms. Put his left hand on Manasseh's head, and, and, and though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God be, uh, before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walk faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, and angels who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of their fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. And when Joseph saw his fathers placing his hands on Ephraim's head, he was displeased, so he took hold of the father's hand to move it to Ephraim's head, uh, from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will be great, uh, become great. Nevertheless, his young brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become Groups, a group of nations. So we see a whole transferring of things. And, and whatever was said there, if you follow the biblical lineage that you see, that's how it actually happened. 
So as much as you think there's insignificant and in putting our hands on our children and blessing people and that kind of stuff, I want to tell you it carries huge spiritual authority. So we're taking it now, talking about laying on of hands and transmitting spiritual blessing and authority, and we come now through to the New Testament, and we pick up with Jesus lives this principle as well, and found in Mark chapter 10, 13. It says, people were bringing their children to Jesus for him to place their hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was mad. He was angry. He did not like what he was seeing. And he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them and blessed them. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. If Jesus did it, we can do it. So the question is, what does it cost you to bless someone? Nothing. Just costs you your time. Costs you to have a heart to see that person blessed. Cost you just to be able to see beyond what are you seeing and let God do what he wants to do in that. So parents, I'm challenging us. Let us be people that will bless our our children. Let's lay hands on them. Let's speak the goodness of God over them. Let our words be forming the destiny that's upon them as we declare God's word. So that's number one, the transmitting of authority. Number two, setting apart for ministry. Acknowledging and setting aside for a call. You see, there is a mantle of anointing required to fulfill God's purpose. I get very nervous when I hear people, they say, I want to be in the ministry because they can't make it in life. So they think ministry is, is um, kind of like a good, good place to go to. I want to say this to you. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of it. But if God's called you, you never will be able to. If you can find other things to do, go and do them. (laughs) I love the ministry. But I want to tell you, there's been some serious heartaches. There's been some disappointments. I want to tell you, people can turn on you like that. We've cried long tears because of people that we've spent hours and hours and hours with, loving, walking with them, spending midnights, just standing with them, praying with them. And like that, I don't know what changes, but all of a sudden we become the worst people that ever existed. It hurts. It hurts. But you know what? When God calls you, you've got to stand up again. You've got to keep your heart right again. And you've got to go and do what you need to do again with everything that you had. And you'll open your heart again so other people can hurt you again. If you want the ministry, that's it. <laughs> So if God's not called you, get out of it. But if God's called you, there's a mantle that God puts on you to be able to do this. There is a grace that doesn't come because you are good with words or that you're very gifted and talented. That's got nothing to do with the call of God upon your life. And when God wants to do something, he will always look for a person. Go and look through the Bible. Every time God wanted to do something, he found a man. He found somebody to be able to, to, to pioneer that thing or, or to be the leader of that. And so around that person that he calls, he will always raise up a team, people to help, to support, and 
put input and that kind of thing. You see, there's no, range, no lone rangers in the kingdom. If you're a lone ranger, you're trouble. <laughs> because you're like somebody with a sword that doesn't know what to do with this thing. And you can hurt people. So Moses understood this. And in Numbers 27, verse 15, listen to this. Moses has come to the end of his life now. And Moses says to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and to come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so, the Lord's, uh, so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hands on him. Have him stand before Elysia, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. You see, there's a transferring of stuff. Anointing, authority, leadership. When you take over, that transfers across. Give some of your authority. I've read that. He is to stand before Elijah the priest who will obtain, uh, obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At this command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out. And at his command, they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and he had him stand before Elijah the priest and the whole assembly. When they laid his hands on them and commissioned him as the Lord had instructed you need to understand something as well in life. There's some things you're taught and some things you're caught. And the anointing you catch. You catch because, number one, you're in God's presence. But number two is because of your leadership that you're under. So if you're not submitted to leadership, I want to tell you there's nothing coming your way. There are many people that appoint themselves. Don't be that person. The centurion, when Jesus he comes to Jesus and asks for his servant to be healed, he says, I'm a man of authority because I am under authority. He says, I know what it's like to tell people to go and people to come. Da, da, da. And here's interesting. I'm always fascinated by Jesus' response. He turns to his disciples. He says, I have not come across such faith in the whole of Israel. It's very interesting how God... Puts putting yourself under authority and connecting it with faith. Then you read the scripture that says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So therefore, if there's no submitting to authority, there's no pleasing God either. So never ever be a loner. Never try and walk a sing on your own. So there's an impartation of wisdom and authority. There's an there's a, 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 the, a appointment to establishing new leaders. Now, I've seen, I've experienced this. So in, in one of the churches that we were asked to go, we went and um, just to help out. So we're just part of the team. And after a year, the, the, the pastor that was there uh, moved on and, and left the church to us. Now, here's the interesting thing that I saw. So while he was there and, and, and was, I was preaching and da, 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 doing all sorts of it's amazing. There were salvations. There were miracles. I mean, it was, it was just so easy. It was like, man, I can do this. But then he left, and something left with him. And all of a sudden, I would preach just like I did. Nothing happened. No salvations, <laughs> no miracles, no nothing. It was like dead. And I'm thinking, Jesus, have you really called me? 
And then I've got to realize, all of a sudden now, there's something I've got to create. Not I'll create, you can't create the seed. But there's something you've got to get for yourself, and that's the anointing of God upon your life. Because there's something about leading something that comes with God's authority. And, and, and I, need, I, need, I think there was a little bit of, I can do this. And God showed me very quickly, you can't do this. It just falls flat. Dunk. And I tell you what, then I started to pray and fast and do lots of stuff to, to say, Jesus, will you help this little boy, please? In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now in, in the church in Antioch, there was a, uh, were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius, and Cyrene, Menon, who had been brought up by the Herod the Tetra, and Saul. And while they were worshiping and the Lord and worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. There was something about putting and laying your hands on and going, being sent, not sending yourself. Something follows you. Number three, there's an application and impartation of spiritual gifts. So I was, I was kind of in worship, I was thinking about this, that God keeps on transferring things from one generation to the other, and it's, and it's, it's also got connected to that piece of paper where you write on one and it's carbon copied on the other. How did they transfer the, 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 all the laws and that kind of stuff in the Old Testament? Did they all have a Bible? No, they didn't. They did it this way. They spoke with each other. In fact, it talks about the parents that they would walk with their children, sit with their children, and they would talk with them. And, they, and that's how it got passed over. But what you'll also notice is that there would be a generation that would be totally on fire for the Lord. The next generation, not so on fire. By the third generation, it was almost dead again. So when you and I are, 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 are hanging around people and we're looking for the next generation to take over, you and I need to be intentional in doing that. So that we don't have a generation that's half-hearted. We have a generation that's just on fire. Just as much on fire, sorry, is the right way to say it. And so, where am I now? Because that wasn't in my notes. So where do I pick up from? So what, how do we know that this is still happening? So, and, and all you need to do is, you, there's many things. Do you want to know if it's still relevant today? See, is it in the Old Testament? Bring it to the cross and what does it do on the other side? So, for example, we're going to take the, the, the um, sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament and we bring it through the, uh, the, the cross and we bring it out into the, the cross. What do we have? Do we have still the sacrifices that were taking place? No. Jesus became the sacrifice. So that whole thing changed. So the Bible says that he once and for all became the final sacrifice. Otherwise, your my backyard would look like a farm. <laughs> Always having to go and sacrifice and try and sort out our lives because it's a mess. Okay, so, so if we take the, the, the laying on of hands, we bring it through the cross, we see on the other side of the cross, it's still there. Okay, so that's how we keep ourselves doctrinally correct. And if there is any change to it, it changes through the cross and then the cross will speak up. So, for example, um, Steve spoke about tithing. You go tithing before the law, you see tithing in the law, you take it through the cross, you bring it out the other side. Jesus talks about tithing. So tithing is still relevant to today. God hasn't changed his mind. Okay, so, so what happens is, if we see now, number one, so that we, we're talking about the implementation or the impartation of spiritual gifts, 
So number one, healing. Is healing still relevant today? It was there, came through the cross. We see the Bible says by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good and healing all that were sick and oppressed of the enemy. So there's many scriptures in the New Testament that still speak about healing. So healing is still relevant today. In Mark 16, 15, he says, Then he said to me, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and baptized will be saved, and but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name will drive out demons. So demons are still real. And they will speak with new tongues. So tongues are still real. It's still relevant for us. They will pick up snakes in the, in the, with their hands. I don't know why they've got that in there. but For Wesley. Wesley, I need to pray for you. Where are you? There you are. Me and a snake, we are not buddies. We do not share the same room at all. They will drink deadly poison. I'm not sure why you want to go play down there. All I need to say, don't test Jesus. Just, just drink tea. Just drink Coke. Just drink water. Leave that other stuff alone. <laughs> it will not hurt them. Mm, leave that alone. It says, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. So God wants us to lay hands on sick people. Is it my responsibility to bring the healing? No. But my obedience in doing what God told me to do. But at the same time, I can't just hope something's going to happen. Oh, Lord Jesus, bless him. Thank you. You're No, no. I have to pray believing that this is miracles going to happen. You can't just, well, Lord, if it's your will. Until, until I hear a word from the Lord that says this is not God's word, I have to be praying God's word. And, and, and that he heals. And when he starts to speak and make it clear that, okay, this is going to be a little bit different, then I will adjust on how to do that. But this is how I run my life, is that until I hear from the Lord, that is what I believe. He is my healer. He is my provider. He is my protection. And therefore, I will declare those scriptures over my life. James five thirteen. If any of you are in trouble, it's kind of like all of us. Then let them pray. Okay, so are you praying? How's your prayer life? Yes, can I just throw this out there? Is that many of us, we run for help before we've prayed for ourselves. And, 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 and remember, we're building on the foundation and we're not changing the foundation. So the first point of call is your and my prayer life. And we should be declaring and believing the word enough to be able to believe it to happen. Now, you, you're going to find this in life. It's easy to believe God for other people's problems than it is for your own. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Lord Jesus, what do I want me to pray for myself? It's easy I can hear God for other people, but you for myself is like a real problem. So anyway, coming back to you. It's let the, if, uh, is anyone happy? Let them sing. Praises. Am any among you sick? Listen to this now. Is any among you sick? It does not stay. Stay at home and don't tell anybody. That's not the Bible. It says this. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. That doesn't make the elders better than anybody else. That just makes you an obedient believer to the word. And you know what? I don't, I don't think that I'm really anointed. But because I'm in this office, I have to do what the word of God says. So when I come and I pray, Excuse me, I pray for you. I need to believe that God's going to make do a miracle over you. That's it. 
So it says, let them call it the elders and anoint them in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, there it is again, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise them up. And if they sin, they will be forgiven. In other words, before you start running around for healing stuff, ask yourself a question. Lord, is there sin in my life that's opening the door here? Am I playing with sin? All of us mess up. There's not one person here that's, that, that's got his life altogether. But if you're playing with sin, it's a different story. Because then you're inviting trouble. And I'm asking us to not do that. Number two, the Holy Spirit. So we've, we've dealt with the baptisms uh, um, uh, of um, Jesus as the baptizer. And we, the believers, are the recipients of that. And the application is the believer baptizing us or praying for us. And so what happens is in Acts chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of the Lord, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived there, they prayed for the believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Go to Acts 19, verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So we see that there's an impartation of, 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 of healings and the gifts of the Spirit happen because of that. Um, we also see that in, um, in Romans 1 verse 11, it says, Paul says this, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. Now, now here, Paul is, is an apostolic ministry. So that's the, he's the father of it. He's, he's the one that carries this. And so there's... But the, the important thing is that you need to understand that some things are triggered when people pray for you and lay hands on you. And they're normally people of authority, not other people. So it's, it's all about being under authority. Paul writes to, uh, into, to Timothy, and in 1 Timothy 4, 14, says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. In other words, the Bible is saying there that God wants to see you grow in it. So it, it starts in one way. It starts with the laying on of hands. It starts with an impartation. But then you and I have to feed it and develop it and grow it. It doesn't just happen. How many of you can remember the day you first started to drive a car? How many of you wish you were still driving a car like that? <laughs> can you imagine riding around Cape Town with everybody driving like that? I must tell you a funny story. So we're living on a farm and... Um, so one of the, the, the next-door farms, young lady wants to learn how to drive a car, and um, the, the, the big boss has got an airplane, so it's got a runway, and it's got a fence around it, and there's no trees, there's none. and I'm thinking, this is the best place. I mean, there's nothing we can hit. <laughs> I 
I forgot about the fence around the airstrip. So we're going. And I'm saying, there's a pole there. She says, I know. I said, well, try and miss it. She's going straight for it. Eventually, I'm grabbing my handbrake. I'm pulling to try and stop it. I'm thinking, my goodness, no. I don't think I was called. That's why I never started a driving school. Just leave that one alone. Last one, appointing to an administrative office in Acts chapter 6. In those days when the numbers of the disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. To the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you whom you know to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to him, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, men are full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochius, Nikian, these names, Timion, Parmenas, sounds like Parasitogol, um, no, and Nicholas, and Antioch a convert of Judaism, and they presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them. You see, there's, 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 there's giving of authority that comes through the laying on of hands as well. So we need to be people that are passing on. So I'm asking us, will you not hoard what God's given you and be generous with it to people? But there is warnings. Warnings. Listen to Paul's instruction to Timothy. He says this, 1 Timothy 5, do not be hasty in laying hands on, uh, laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Let me ask you a question. If you have measles and I tell you I've got mumps, what are you going to catch? If I have measles and I tell you I've got mumps, what are you going to catch? You're going to catch measles. You're going to catch who I am. Here's a very interesting thing. When Peter and John go to the, 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 the temple in Acts chapter 3, and the, 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 the man there is asking for alms, and he says, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. There is something you and I carry. And therefore, that's why I say when you pray for somebody, Pray that something from you, that Jesus on the inside of you is going to touch that person. You've got to give. But now when you're receiving prayer, when you're being prayed for for anything, you have to be a receiver as well. You know, everything works. I mean, this thing works about a, a sender and a receiver. The sender can be working, but if the receiver is not working, what's happening? You see my mouth do this and nothing's happening. It's exactly the same in our spiritual life. We have to learn to receive. Don't stand... Don't just be there like a brick. Because if you're not receiving, it's not getting to you. You've got to be in a posture of, thank you, Lord. I receive. I receive. I put my receive on. I, I, I open myself up. But now you're not going to want to open yourself up to somebody who's playing games with Jesus. Somebody who's sleeping around. And then they, when it's church, they've got their spiritual suit on, and then they, they want to come and lay their hands on you. I don't want you to lay your hands on me if that's the kind of life you're living. It's going to get quiet now. So that's why the Bible calls us to be holy as He is holy. 
so that what we transfer to people is something of the kingdom of heaven and not sin. You're not going to receive anything of godly value if a demon-possessed person comes and puts their hand on you. So I speak to us all as leaders and people that are responsible for people. I'm asking you to keep your life right. Because you've been given a responsibility to love and care for people. And one day we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account of our life. Let it not be, what were you doing with your life? Let it be, well done, good and faithful servant. That which I gave you to do, you did it well. I don't even know where I am now. Other than inside the building. When we're looking for people, when we're looking for people to, to put into positions, let it not be based on gifting. Gifting is shallow. You did not work for your gift. It was a gift to you from Jesus. You did not work for it. It's just a free gift. But the character is the quality of the vessel that gives that gift power and authority. And that's what we look for. That stickability, that purity, that walking with God, that humbleness, those character traits. That's what we look for. That's why we just don't quickly put people into places. That's why when you come on to deaconship and you come on to eldership, there's, there's, you sit with people and they talk with you and they ask you questions and they, there's lots of stuff that happens. Why? Because we know there's a responsibility that when you're walking in that office and if you put the wrong people in, in place, I want to tell you, you've got more headaches than you actually want to handle. And here's the problem. Once you put people in place to get them out, it's another story. I think I'm going to stop there. So remember this. Very important thing. People catch who you are, not what you say. Last illustration. So in the, in the previous um, group of churches that I was part of, um, I, I wanted to learn on when people kind of like fall short, especially people, pastors, I, wanted, I went with to go and try and learn. And here was an interesting thing. People that, pastors that have fallen into adultery, once that thing was exposed, do you know how many adulterous affairs were exposed in the church that just popped up? Because remember, people catch who you are. Not what you're saying. All of them were preaching the gospel. All of them were, were, you know, believing God for miracles. All of them were talking about salvation. All of them were talking about the kingdom. But they were producing a different fruit in the people. Got to be careful. You carry a responsibility. So this is not a jump up and down, shout and, and, and think sermon. But it's important. It's important. Can I have the worship team up please, some of these? Can I ask if somebody can go and call the, the kids out of um, kids?